when Jesus violates my expectations, that's when I get angry. When things don't work out the way I want them to work out, do I trust that that Jesus knows better than I do? Do I trust that he's working on a different plan that's probably better than mine? Do I let him be the Lord or do I try and be the Lord? You're listening to If That Makes Sense, it's Family Life's podcast where we're going through the life of Jesus as we read it in the book of John. My name's Tim, I'm in Family Life's radio department. My name's Becky, and I'm in Family Life's development department. And I'm Mike, and I'm in Family Life's performing arts department. It is really cool that that's just what we're doing this time, is just following Jesus. Like, can't really go wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Just seeing what he's up to, following in his footsteps, literal footsteps, because he's on the move literally on the move in our passage today. He's moving from place to place, town to town, and people are reacting to Jesus' ministry. So we're just going to jump right into it. It's John chapter 4, where we're starting chapter 4, verses 43 through the end, because we've been in chapter 4 for a bit. A lot has happened. And then we're going to read the first part of chapter 5, John 5 through 18. So starting off in John chapter 4, verse 43. Becky, would you like to start us? Of course. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Chapter 5. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there is a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Ooh, the tension here. It's big tension. Like Jesus is doing these things and he's, he's stirring things up. Stirring the pot. He really is. Not stirring the pool, which I'll mention <laughs> is interesting. I, 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 I'll say it distracted me because I wanted to start somewhere else. But can we go to this pool for a second here? Mm-hmm. This pool in Bethesda? I realized it as I was reading, guys. Maybe your Bibles include it. <laughs> Mine cuts out verse 4, which says that the people who are laying around the pool, I'm going to read verse 4, um, and, and I'll explain also why it says it's cut out. Where it says that the people waiting around the pool waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Do your guys' Bibles include that? Nope. Doesn't include it. (laughs) Yeah. But you know where I bet it is on both of yours, because I'm reading mine online right now also, Becky, is it's in a little footnote that is labeled four, like verse four, and then it's not there. So this is not the main point of what we're talking about today. But it's a great point because if you're studying your Bible, things like this might make you scratch your head and be like, uh... Is there something wrong with my Bible? Well, no, this is a case where you like, you, you see the fact that people have put a lot of study into figuring out what really belongs there and what is the most accurate reading of what was in what we'd call, I guess, closest to being the original word of God. And the footnote my online Bible has is that some manuscripts include this. That means some don't. So, what uh, what when generally when you come up against these kind of things, what that means is with a footnote is it's like, well, not every original source includes this. So it's not something this one verse isn't going to be something that you're going to make or break your whole theology on. And you can kind of see why some manuscripts wouldn't include it. <laughs> kind of weird, isn't it? It almost feels a little superstitious. It does very much so. And some of some of the uh, footnotes I was looking at suggested that it was probably more of a a tradition or a saying Mm. um and and so that makes sense why it would be in parentheses or not included yeah but like they had this tradition to believe that an angel was stirring and healing this water in this particular location right yeah if you if you have nothing else to hope for right if you're what did it say People who are blind, lame, and paralyzed just spending all of their life there yeah. waiting, hoping that that some mysterious angel is going to come down and heal them. I was distracted, and it's probably because I was hungry when I was reading this over <laughs> a couple times. I was like, where did these people get food? Oh, wow. Like if they, in a sense, lived here and spent all of their time hoping for the water to be stirred because you never knew when it was going to happen – how did they get 
food mm. to survive, but also if they were lame and blind and disabled, they probably in that time period at least couldn't hold a job. Yeah. So who was it their family? Was it friends? Like how how did they get sustenance to survive to be able to sit there to hopefully get into the pool first when it was stirred? So that was my little uh, point of distraction. I'm like, but but who took care of these people? Yeah. Clearly, I, that's a great point, Becky. Clearly, it's got to be a group where I would guess probably the closest thing we'd have today is I wonder if it looked like a like a homeless community, not mm. like a homeless shelter, but maybe like a place where people who likely had no means of having their own way of living would have gathered. And, and even if they had somewhere to go for the night, I'm sure they weren't put together and doing well while they were there in the day waiting for this, waiting on a hope for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And what a cool thing that we actually are starting here, even though this wasn't necessarily the first part of what we read today, because who do we find here in this out of the way, maybe homeless looking, but certainly crippled and, and hurting community? Who do we find hanging out there? Well, Jesus decides to show up there. He decides to go there and he goes there after the last person we just read, he healed. In the, in the chapter before, we just found out he healed a royal official's son. And he's like, okay, I've got to move on and do other things. Oh, who are you going to heal next, Jesus? Well, I, I got a place in mind. <laughs> and this is where he goes. Like opposite ends of the spectrum. It really is. I love Jesus's what seems to be complete disregard for social norms. I mean, I'm sure he was very aware of what the social norms were and what it would look like for him, but also how it would then uh, ripple effect to his disciples, to his family, because of how um, family culture it was back then, of what it would look like for Jesus to step into a place, I mean, not just walk by, but step into and heal somebody in a place like that, because you just, if you were well, you didn't go there. You, in some cases, you took longer routes to avoid even walking by it. But Jesus is just like, nope, that's where we're going. And this is just how it's going to be. And we're not going to worry about it. And it's like, wow, he just, he did, he obeyed. He did what he came to do with what seems like a total disregard for what other people thought. But I'm guessing that wasn't, I'm wondering if his mindset was more of, well, I don't care what the negative effects and what people think about. I'm here to kind of flip that and flip the perspective on everything. Absolutely. It's got to be. Because uh, in, if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, also, Jesus, it says at the very beginning of what we read today, it says, and uh, it says, after the two days he left for Galilee. Those two days are two days he spent in Samaria, which... For someone like me, I wouldn't know like off the top of my head, what's the big deal? Well, there's a, there is a big deal. Samaria is a place where somebody who was seen as a good Jew wouldn't have been spending their time. But Jesus did because those people were ready to hear the gospel. And so their hearts were ready. Jesus was spending time there. Like you said, Becky, totally disregarding the social norms. And Jesus had just been spending time there. Then he leaves for Galilee. And when he shows up, people have this response. And I'm... I don't actually know what to make of it. They seem excited that he's there. When he arrived in Galilee, it says in verse 45 of chapter four, the Galileans welcomed him 
They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So these people are excited to see them. And also it's like kind of in the same region where he did the water into wine thing. So that story had probably been spreading around too. But I don't know. Can we talk a little bit about Jesus' response to them? Because <laughs> he he almost sounds kind of harsh when this guy asks for his son to be healed, right? What were some of the feelings and thoughts? I, like I said, I don't even know what to make of it. When Jesus has this response to the guy, he asks for his son to be healed. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. My initial thought was, I am so glad I'm not living in this time period and that I have the complete scripture and the whole story of Jesus's time here on earth, because how easy would it have been to get caught up in the signs and wonders and think, that's why this person is here, because they can do all these miraculous things and get distracted with that and not even realize oh, wait, Jesus is here to die for me and my sins so that I can then have a relationship with him. And just how easy it would be to get distracted, but then also how confusing it would be to be like, okay, you turned water into wine and you've done this miracle and the sick child who is close to death and your response is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe yeah. how just the confusion that that could cause in somebody to be like, but isn't that why you're here and what you're supposed to right. be doing? I like what you said about the the signs and wonders. I think that's exactly what's going on here. There's so many times where I'll be reading, like you were talking, Becky, about Jesus not necessarily following social norms. And I think also he doesn't follow norms of my expectations of how conversations should go. Yeah. And and so I'll read things and they just don't make sense to me. So so we have up here in chapter or verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Then the next verse we see, oh, he's heading back towards his hometown, but the Galileans welcome him. Well, that doesn't make sense. Um, but... I think the key word is having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Like you were saying, the signs and wonders, they're, they're looking for this magician, this person to heal them, to do all the stuff for them. And so this official, probably an official to Herod, comes up and says, my son's dying. I, I need you to heal him. And has Jesus respond, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What? what? What are you talking about? And it struck me, if I can back up and put myself in this position, how often am I looking for what Jesus will do for me mm. less or more so than who he is? And like Tim, you're talking about the, the last couple of uh, episodes when they were in Samaria and he was doing miracles left and right and healing people. And people were coming to faith in Christ, even though these were the Samaritans and these were the outcasts. And then he starts coming home to the Jewish people. And they're like, we want to see signs. We don't, we, we're not interested in this belief stuff. And how often Jesus is the, the son of God. He's here for a relationship with me. And yet 
how often do I go to him saying, you need to heal my son because he's going to die. Yeah. Or you need to do this. Or you need to do this for me. So his response makes sense to me after I think through it in that way. Mm. Because that's me a lot of the time. Wow. Mike, that's a really good point. And I also wonder, too, just thinking about the fact that this is a a royal official. So he's well off. He's got re- access to probably many different kinds of resources that he can reach out to to heal his son. So I'm assuming that he's already done everything he can possibly think of and use everything at his disposal. And because of his position, he probably has a lot of things at his disposal. So I've been thinking about it. I'm like, was this his last resort? Was he, hey, this Jesus is in town. He turned water into wine. And I've heard of the things he's done. Maybe he can heal my son. So I also wonder, too, is he coming to Jesus from the point of, well, I've tried everything else and I'm coming to you last. Mm. And then I look at my life and I'm like, how many times am I just going along and forget to go to Jesus first and go to him last? And is that the same type, would that warrant the same type of, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe reaction. Oh, wow. It's like, okay, I know I believe in Jesus and I know I'm secure in that, but am I also acting like that's true? Is that my first step or is that my last step? And now, obviously, we don't know where this royal official was on that because we can't get a peek into his brain or his heart. But I'm just like, hmm, I wonder if it was, oh, this is my last resort and you've been known to do these things, so surely you can do this for me. And I'm a royal official, so of course you'll do it for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that that point, Becky and Mike, mm-hmm. both of those points mm-hmm. because of, about our own responses. And that's something I saw too while I was looking at this and just something that's really cool. You can find commentaries on the Bible, totally free online, huge resources, People who are way smarter than I am writing loads and loads on basically every verse. And I wouldn't have noticed this if I hadn't been looking at a free online commentary where the official tells Jesus, come down before my child dies. He first says he went and begged him to come and heal his son. Jesus responds with, unless you people see, you know, we already talked about that. He says, heal my son. Unless you people see, you'll never believe. And then the guy says to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. And there are places where Jesus, I think, respects people's boldness to believe that he can heal them. And he's like, oh, you know, he, he responds to people believing he can do it. And that's a good thing. But this guy tells Jesus, he, this is the, what the commentator said, he prescribes the means hmm. to God for how to fulfill his request. Hmm. God, do this for me and do it like this. So heal my child and come, come to do it. Because what does Jesus specifically not do? The man says, come. And then Jesus says, go. Go, your son will live. That's so neat. Because I'm guilty of thinking that, I, well, I think many of us are. We want to see God working the way we want to see him work. We're not necessarily given to seeing him work on his own terms and letting him challenge what we expect he should be doing. So that really caught me. Come down, Jesus says. Actually, how about this? You go and find out that I already healed your son as soon as I, as soon as these words were spoken, it's already done. There's just loads there, loads and loads and loads there that we could take into our own personal lives. But um, 
He's not the only one who got healed. Also, he's not the only one who believed. So cool that John gives us this little insider look that uh, the man's whole household ended up believing. And if he's a royal official, I wonder how much his whole household could include. I don't know. That's kind of exciting to think about. It's really cool just to see the, the, the compassion that Jesus shows because even after all of those things, even after presumably maybe this was the wrong motive that he came to him, he may have came as a last resort, he's demanding what Jesus should do, and still it says he believed and also his whole household believed. So I just thought that was a, a, a cool turn in this story. Yeah. Where God God did something cool even even when the people involved weren't where maybe they they should have been spiritually or heart wise it didn't stop him from working in their lives mm-hmm. they didn't and that's what we keep seeing every episode I feel like we keep saying this it's so great people don't come to Jesus the right way and it doesn't <laughs> matter to him because they're still there and he still gets a hold of their heart he changes them once they've met him but they don't come to him the right way on their own. And that's okay, because he works with it. That's great for us. Mm-hmm. Boy, isn't it? <laughs> and it's good for this next guy, too, because in chapter five, mm-hmm. we like, so we talked about him a bit at the beginning, but let's think about this guy now in context of who we've just seen, because our last healing recipient told Jesus kind of how to do it, and Jesus corrected him. And this guy... <laughs> Let's actually, let's talk about Jesus first, because Jesus keeps saying weird things that are, that are ironic and funny, um, or, or, or just difficult to understand. The guy's lying there for who knows how long. And Jesus knows that he's been lying there for a very long time. (laughs) And he knows the custom of why people would lie next to this particular pool. And what, (laughs) what does he ask him? Do you want to be healed? (laughs) (laughs) Like... I don't know. I don't think it's meant to be funny, but it's definitely meant to get our attention. Like, well, yeah, yeah, I mm-hmm. want to be healed. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, I I loved this man's response because it's a yes or no question. And <laughs> presumably the answer is yes. But he says, I can't. Wow. Like, I don't know. I think the implication is I've been trying for 38 years and I can't do it myself. So Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I can't do it. And there again, how often do I say that? How often do I come to Jesus? All these promises that he makes and my response is, I can't. If only you understood. I've been trying. I can't do it. So I, I uh, appreciated that response yes. a, a lot. It's a yes or no question, but he, he managed to negate that. And I think that's when, I think that maybe that was Jesus's point. You can't without me. Wow. Oh, my. I wonder if that question is put there specifically to get us thinking because, like you said, Tim, it's a pretty obvious answer of why he's there. Like, why would you even ask that question? And it's like, oh, wait, how often do we take time to pause and really think what do we want and how are we going about getting that? And like, okay, do you want to get well? Well, the only way this man sees to get well is to get into that pool after it's stirred, but also he sees all of his limitations and the fact that he can't do it on his own. Am I pausing and thinking, okay, I want this thing, or do I even want this thing? And I'm only seeing one way to do it, but 
is there another way? Am I looping Jesus into it? Am I even considering the fact that Jesus' way of doing things based on everything that we've talked about is completely different than I would normally think <laughs> or assume or assign him to? Yeah. And it's like, hmm, am I pausing and thinking or am I just doing life as prescribed for me or as, oh, I only think it's possible this way? And it's like, actually, not really. And isn't it, doesn't it get scarier too, though, when God directly asks us, do you want this to happen in your life? Do you, like, mm, like if mm -hmm. I were to imagine God saying to me, Tim, do you want to be holy? I'd be like, I try to live my best for you, Lord. It's like, that's a yes or no question, actually. So if you didn't answer yes, maybe you're answering no. Because think about it. Like if he's asking me point blank, do you want what I have for you? Before I say yes, I'm probably thinking, if I say yes, it's God. So he's going to actually probably make it really uncomfortable for me, but it'll be what's best for me. And it's going to be hard. And maybe I should just explain to him why I am where I am right now. Because, you know, <laughs> it's God. Maybe he needs me to explain. Uh, no. <laughs> it's harder, though, to just say, no, actually, God, I, I don't want that right now. That would cost too much of me. Thanks. If I'm being honest, no, I don't. That'd be harder to do. It'd also be really hard to say, Yes. Yes, I do want to be healed. And I realize that that's going to have nothing to do with my own strength. And it's going to be totally leaning on you in a way that I'm not used to. Just the humility of answering yes or no and not giving our own reason or excuse for it's like it's a yes or no question, but we immediately jump to a reason or an excuse or an explanation of some kind. But the humility just to be like, yes, Lord or no Lord, and not feel like we have to give that justification or that reason. Because, I mean, he already knows, but at the same time, it's like, hmm, there's a lot of humility in just yes or no. Yeah, absolutely. It's acknowledging he's God and we're not. Ooh, speaking of that, acknowledging that he's God, it's kind of a big part of this reading we had today. <laughs> and it's probably going to be the last place where we can spend a little bit of our time together, but we, we, we can't go without talking about this because it's a big deal. It's a big deal in this passage. It's a big deal in the whole book of John. Goodness, for that matter, it's a big deal in the whole Bible. And it's that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God. That's radical to say, even still today. And it was no different in Jesus' time. In fact, it's why the Pharisees, uh, the Jewish leaders, wanted to kill him. But their response to this healing, their response is, is baffling too. When you think about how they respond to what this man is doing on the Sabbath day. <laughs> <laughs> Something I noted as I was reading and, and studying a little bit is Jesus didn't violate the law. He violated their traditions. That's and, good. And that was that was the the uh, sticking point there. And I thought, well, maybe that's the whole reason Jesus came and healed this man was just to get these people riled up, even just thinking like he knows the trajectory. He knows that he's going to be at the cross at one point in time. So I, I don't know. I just thought that was to say at this point, the, the Pharisees were getting upset and angry. Oh, I wonder if that was part of the plan. And I find it interesting how he made it known to the Pharisees because he healed the man 
bam, disappeared. And they can't, they don't know who did it. And then he yeah. sought the man out later in the temple and revealed that he was the one who did it in such a way that the man remembered his name. So the man then goes back to the Pharisees and it's like, it was Jesus. And I was like, okay, why didn't you just reveal it the first time instead of withdrawing and then revealing it later to come to the same end of the Pharisees are going to know and get riled about it because it's breaking their traditions and it's on the Sabbath. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting decision of when and why he had his name associated with that miracle. You know, I don't know. It, it is interesting because you 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 know that the Lord is deliberate in the way he tells his story and that it was definitely not an accident that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And it was definitely not an accident. Jesus knew what their response would be when they saw this guy carrying his probably, it's probably not much more than a rag, his mat that he slept on for however many years he was laying on that thing. I love the healed man's response because he basically tells the Pharisees, um, I don't think you're in charge actually, because there was a guy who told me not to be paralyzed anymore. And so I stopped being paralyzed. <laughs> so if that guy tells me I can carry my mat, you're going to have to take it up with him. Well, what's his name? I don't know. Let me find out. <laughs> but I, I love his response. Like he gets it. He's like, eh, don't think you guys are the ones making the rules. This guy just told me <laughs> to stop being paralyzed. He gets the picture that if Jesus calls God his father, and if Jesus claims to have this relationship to God and the very nature of reality, the way he does, what Jesus can do with a mere word, then the Pharisees are right to see that this is a big claim, that he is claiming equality with God. And yeah, if they've got a problem with that, then they are going to keep having problems with Jesus. How cool is it that this man realized, uh, actually, you're not in charge. Jesus is, or at that point, the man who healed me is. And then in that tension, he stayed true in his faith. It's hmm. like he's a relatively new convert and there's this immediate tension and yet he's like he stands on it. he's like actually no you guys aren't but his whole life has been the pharisees being in charge and telling him what to do and what not to do and then he has this moment with jesus and now he's like nope jesus is in charge and i'm going to stick to that even when the pharisees are seeking to kill him i think that's what john's trying to do the whole book is just give us this picture over and over of what it looks like to see Jesus for who he is and to realize that he is he is the face of God. He is he is the exact imprint of his nature, as the book of Hebrews calls him. And and that if you see Jesus doing something, you are effectively seeing the Father's heart on display. And Jesus is working it out here in flesh and bone. And it's just, it's just so cool that he gives us all these different stories, accounts of ways he showed himself to be who he was while he was here on earth. And that's just a thrilling thing that we not only get to look back on and study, but that we just get to know about the God who we have a relationship with today. Like this is, this is what he's like. This is what he's like right now. This is him right now. This is his heart for us still right now. Something I love, you, you mentioned all of these chapters in John, we get to think through how we see Jesus. 
And I also think how we respond to him. I'm always looking for what what's the practical application for me. And the first time I read through this, I was thinking, oh, there's not really anything here. He, he just healed some people. And again, th these aren't original thoughts. These are somebody else's thoughts. But the Pharisees got mad when Jesus violated their traditions. And this guy was talking about how we Americans don't necessarily hold traditions as, as highly as Jewish people did back then. But there is something that uh, we can get pretty uptight over, and that's when Jesus violates our expectations. Mm -hmm. And that was like a light bulb for me. When Jesus violates my expectations, that's when I get angry. And making this parallel, why was Jesus doing what he was doing, healing this man on the Sabbath? It wasn't, it wasn't to blatantly be disrespectful or rude to the Pharisees. It wasn't to crush them. But it was because he was bringing in a new and better way of doing things. So that parallel goes right along with expectations. When things don't work out the way I want them to work out, do I trust that that Jesus knows better than I do? Do I trust that he's working on a different plan that's probably better than mine? Do I let him be the Lord or do I try and be the Lord? Am I demanding how he should fix things and what he should do? Or am I responding with humility and saying, I trust you, take this. So that was the thing for me that just, all right, there's the application here. It's how I respond to Jesus doing what he's busy at work with. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one.